0: Use promo code Blues for ten percent off your first order. That's promo code Blues for ten percent off your first order.
1: Welcome back to our newest episode of Southern Sound with your host Sweeper Dupree, Uninet's premier blues podcast. I'm your host Sweeper Dupree, and today we've got with us some special guests from a podcast about residents. The residents. Sorry, the residents called Home Age Conversions. This is a quite a special episode, which we'll get to in a little bit. But to start, I came across some demos from a blues musician named Diane Dog. Not a whole lot of information exists regarding Diane Dog, but all I could find was a connection to a group called Resonance. The. Sorry, sorry, the Residents, And not much else. Doing a little bit of research on Resonance. The Resonance. The Resonance. <laughs> I came across Foremost Residents podcast called Homemade's Conversions.
2: Conversations.
1: I mean, conversations. And I, I thought we could have a chat with them. So I'd like you to go ahead and introduce yourselves.
3: Thank you for having us on here. Um, I'm Mole. Uh, and I, how about everybody else introduce themselves?
4: I, I'm Rabbit. Hello.
0: I'm Cat.
2: And uh, I'm you.
1: Uh, Well, welcome. Happy to have you all here.
3: Uh, so, we know how you came across us, but how did you, um, how did you find out about Dog? Because as far as anybody really knows, he seems to have been a very obscure artist in his time. You know, I mean, all we have from him are, are demos. So, um, how did you encounter his work?
1: Well, I actually found his work on the internet. I was flipping through some listings on an online website looking for some bold blues music. They came across an artist called Dying Dog, and they appeared to be attributed to somebody named Alvin Snow.
0: So what were your uh, impressions of the, you know, more about blues than we do? Obviously, naturally.
1: Well, what I really appreciated about Dying Dog was his amplification of the Barrel House, and he really brought down the the boogie-woogie onto Bourbon Street. You know, it was really reminiscent of the Delta Blues, while still being quite contemporary in his style.
3: Uh, So since we don't really know much about the blues, um, we can't really ask about, you know, um, a lot of artists that Dying Dog, or also known as Alvin Snow, might be similar to, but um, it's hard to ignore the connection uh, to Howlin' Wolf, um, who was also an influence to the residents. Um, So what's your perspective on Howlin' Wolf's influence on Dying Dog's style?
1: Well, vocally speaking, and The connections are very obvious, with a gravelly, growly, deep voice. Lyrically speaking, not so much. I don't believe Howlin' Wolf was singing much about murder, or burying his bone, nor was he singing about trying to pass for white. One reason I wanted to discuss Alvin Snow is his material was very disturbing, and considering how disturbing it is, it's no surprise his demos never really went anywhere past being demos.
3: That is, until now. Uh, since the connection to the residents is, um, for all of those who are perhaps unaware of this, the residents are going to go back and um, use this work to create their own covers of his music. Um, so, I mean, what's your perspective on that? Um, the fact that modern artists are now responding to this work that was perhaps not suited for its time, perhaps ahead of its time. Um, is that something that... You know, is that something that speaks to you in any way?
1: Well, actually, what really impresses me, I'm not too familiar with Residents. The Residents. The Residents. The I'm not too familiar with them or their work, but what I do know is I'm appreciative of any band, any group that could come together and bring traditional blues into the mainstream. As someone not too familiar with Residents, is their music something that could potentially bring this into the mainstream?
3: It it Hmm. could. The 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 mainstream? Perhaps. Define so mainstream. mainstream.
2: Well, I mean, I think they could be the residents or world famous rock stars.
3: They are
1: kind of emerging, so maybe. They're an emerging act, you say. Wow. W-
4: well, they've been active <laughs> for quite a while, but you know, they're they're just starting they've been emerging to emerging for the
0: last uh, forty years.
4: Yeah, they they, they they've Always been emerging
0: uh, with something new. Constant state this- of metamorphosis.
4: The, the spotlight has been kind of circling around them for a while, and uh, now it's kind of starting to focus on them. So they are kind of getting a little bit more of a kind of closer to the mainstream, but not quite. I think their big day
3: is coming up. I think it is. Yeah, yeah straight to the top. Absolutely They'll never stop. The charts, They'll sure. die before their day. Wait, exactly.
1: Well, I look forward to this first radio single off this new record.
4: If, if you would like kind of an idea... They did kind. Of, they did perform a few of the uh, rehashed songs already on the recent tour of theirs.
3: Yeah, but maybe let's we l- should get a clip for that. Yeah, let's get a clip for that in there. So I think before we get into the present and even into the future, um, perhaps we should consult our in-house historian, Cat, for a little bit of background on what's been discovered about Alvin Snow, also known as Dying Dog.
0: So we don't know a tremendous lot, but what we do know is pretty impressive, given the nature of this discovery. You know what I mean? Uh, given the fact that it's so esoteric, I guess. So, but what we know is that. Uh, dying Dogs, he was born Alvin Snow, sometime in the late 30s or early 1940s, and he was known for his uh, vocal style and the fact that he was a biracial albino person uh, when he was living in Ruston, Louisiana. So he was growing up and coming of age under segregation as an albino biracial man, which uh, you mentioned songs about passing as white and stuff like that, this is all going to lead into his lyrical content um he had no family but he'd lived with a white woman in her 60s named mrs lillian um when he started getting into the blues he became influenced by howlin wolf he started revering how the howlin wolf he was very much like you know hero worship this is the guy he wants like the like the Beatles and elvis so uh mrs. L- mrs. Lillian, she she takes him in as a son. Uh, she supports him with a monthly allowance. She, you know, is supporting him. He uh, gets into his musical career. Uh, incidentally, where your connection with the residence starts here with a friend of the residence named Roland Sheehan. So this was like a totally chance encounter. It wasn't something that was planned. It was just out of the blue. but, uh, Roland was interested in Alvin. He was, you know, fascinated by this enigma of a person. And so he I takes mean, he, him to... I mean, yeah, meet...
3: um, I think the story goes that uh, Alvin was singing or doing his um, vocal stylings, uh, just sort of out and in the street to himself. Um, and that's when Roland encountered him.
0: Yes. Yeah, that's how chance it was, you know, like one in a million chance. So he takes him to meet a record shop owner by the name of Stan Lewis... Um, Lewis got him to record some demos with the band Roland had gotten together for him and everything was going really well. They decided on a stage name, uh, inspired by, uh, Alvin's dog who had passed away. So they they called him Dying Dog. And everything was set for an album release in January, so the start of the new year. But, uh, after the death of Howlin' Wolf and Lillian, his... I suppose you could say Guardian, and Alvin Stone's dog in 1976, he just disappeared. And that's the last anyone's ever heard of him, those three deaths.
1: That's a lot of tragedy right there. Death of and Wolf, his maternal figure, and his
0: dog. I say it comes in threes. That's yeah, right. and uh,
3: as far as the story goes, or as far as we know, um, all of this happened, not even within the same month, but within the same week, um, so it seems that he took this pretty hard.
4: Yeah, like, like, like you'd think, yeah, he could probably just kind of pass off one of them at a time for, with, you know, a little bit of expression, you know, a lot of the music writing, but I mean, if it all happens within a week, you you just really have no choice but to just kind of go blank i guess
2: and this was like three days before the the like performance was set so obviously that took a serious toll on him
3: yeah
0: yeah stress combined with the grief combined with the grief combined with the grief it's it's too much for one person
3: but even through all that tragedy what we did end up getting um were some demos there were um nine Demos that have been uh, released to us so far by the residents. it Charles, Um,
0: I told you to put the damn laundry away.
3: Mom, I
1: told you, call me Sweeper when you see the sock on the doorknob, okay?
3: Everything everything all right over there, Sweeper? Uh, Well, uh, there Mm. were nine songs on uh, 45s. Um and it seems that the residents instructed their label to release these demos pretty much as they were found um which i i appreciate greatly you know um their dedication to keeping the authenticity of these items um there were the original demos were rediscovered by Roland Sheehan in 2016 um, in the Gem Theater, which was, which at this point is an old rundown place in Louisiana, um, but it's also where um, Alvin and his band used to rehearse. Um, and Roland passed these on to the residents, who were uh, awestruck by these uh, by these songs and the power of them, and so that's when they sent them to Psychophon for release, um, and from there. Uh, the residents also decided to work on their own versions of the songs for their upcoming album, Metal, Meat, and Bone. Uh, and what
1: was the relationship between Roland and the residents?
3: Oh, Roland uh, knew them back when they were in Louisiana, since that's where they're from, okay. uh, as far as we know.
4: Back in, like, their really early days, like their rough, rough Yeah, like
3: days. mid, let's say mid-late 1960s. Oh, goodness, very yeah. long ago. Yes, very long ago. Um, and I, he was though he made the original trip with them from um, Louisiana up to California um, and participated a bit in the early musical works um, or musical experimentations um, that the residents did way back when, before they were known as the residents.
1: No, I don't want to interrupt, but but yeah. since I'm not too familiar with residents, sense. the residents, Pardon me, I, I've noticed they've covered a lot of their other musicians, including James Brown, as well as Ray Charles. Are they blues musicians
4: themselves?
3: At times, I think at times. They dabble Is in blues, kind of like, among
0: other things.
4: They're, they're kind of like a varied, oh, okay. varied lads.
2: Yeah, and yeah. I almost see the, their upcoming covers as just an extension of their sort of interpretations of music, the way they sort of look at um, primarily American music and just sort of digest it.
3: Yeah, their music, for the most part, um, a lot of the time, the stories they tell are covers, um, perhaps in structure or in focus, of uh, what they see as integral pieces of American culture. Um, So it could be that in some way, um, they see Dying Dog as reflective of something essential in American culture. Um, in that sense,
4: and it fits with their their storytelling idea. Like they they don't they tell some pretty dark stories, so you know it's a little more acceptable for them to name you know, one.
0: Cover.
4: It's for it's name a little more acceptable for them dark to cover. Story. Uh, um, I want to say the entirety of Freak Show.
3: Nah, nah, that's lightweight stuff. Come on. Uh, Speaking yeah. of music, um, I think we should probably uh, discuss the tracks on the demos, if everybody would be okay with that.
1: Absolutely, That sounds great. All right. Let me put one on the background right now. Okay. So let me just drop the needle here on side yeah. A of the first 45 in this stack. It says, Bury My Bone.
3: So the first thing that really strikes me about this song um, is the way it's it's a really bold track to open with. And perhaps if the demos are reflective of the order that they were intended to be put in um, on, you know, a a larger release, um, we get a sense of the artist um, in in a really defined way, I think. Um, It's a really strange, pessimistic track. Um, that tells us a lot about, you know, the man who's singing it. Um, clearly it's coming from a deep place in his heart. Um, and the blues, you know, uh, um, sweeper, help us out here. It, there's some quote about um uh, about the blues and about emotion.
1: Well, a great man once said the blues isn't about feeling better, it's about making other people feel worse. Make it a few
3: bucks while you're at it. And I think that is exactly what you get with... um. With Bury My Bone here. Absolutely.
4: It's kind of like getting bit in the hand. You know.
1: By
0: a dog?
4: Yeah, may, maybe yeah. by
0: <laughs> a,
1: a
4: wolf.
0: <gasps>
1: so the B side here is The River Runs Dry. Now this one seems a little deeper, lyrically speaking. Tell me what you think.
3: Yeah, um. Uh, I mean, we see, uh, his romantic life, um, a little bit. I don't know. What does everybody else think? Hmm. It's a
4: little hmm. more deeper thinking than uh, you know, like the rest of it, where it's just a little more direct.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's the, a lot of the other songs are more sort of um, visceral in in the sound, and whereas
3: this yeah. one's more lyrical. Yeah, it's more upbeat, and I think
0: um... that's what I was about to say. It's definitely the, the it's more upbeat than. The rest of it, which gives kind of like a... We said it before, there's kind of like an angriness, a bitterness.
3: Yeah, and I think that anger and that bitterness um, are really brought out in the way that he's... um, He seems to take his life, uh, at least in his songs. Alvin Snow looks at his life in a really detached kind of way. He seems to see himself as minuscule... In the larger picture of things, and that kind of self-awareness, I think sets him apart from a lot of other blues musicians. Yeah,
4: definitely. Yeah, because like other, yeah, yeah, because like the other like musicians, they typically have they don't really focus on that kind of thing as much. They're more like the thing that's happening right now is what the music is about. While like you know, "river runs dry" is a little more like here's it all. Well, moving
1: along, we've put on our next 45 and the A-side. We've got a track called Die, Die, Die. Guess that's not German, huh?
3: No, it is not, as far as we know.
1: What can you tell me about it? It's got um, some attitude, I can tell you that.
3: W-
4: it, it, it's <laughs> it's uh, somewhat terrifying.
3: It's I think it's a really hateful song. Now, us as Residence fans, um, we've actually been aware of this song... Uh, for longer than we've been aware of, of dying dog um, because mm-hmm. this track was performed live at a at a concert the residents did uh, on the tour called In Between Dreams um, and so we heard the residents version first um, as far as is is that correct has ever is as that far the first as we version? knew <laughs> yeah um, and
4: if, I, if i if i'm not mistaken if you were in if you're lucky enough to be in that Tokyo show you heard it before you even heard the ghost of Hope. Yeah, that's actually,
2: it's true. Well, they could have gotten it early because it was on sale early.
4: <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. We, we couldn't really listen to it at the time. So, either, so. the
1: B-side of this one is called Pass for White. You're going to have to explain this one to me. I, I'm not really getting it.
3: Uh, well... Bruh. So, th- this is where the... Uh, Alvin's life is relevant here, um... In that, because he was biracial but also albino, um, uh, we think he had kind of a a couple run-ins with the law um, and a lot of uh, behavior that he uh, tried to get away with based on the fact that he was albino and so wasn't really his racial identity wasn't really in the forefront.
0: Um, and obviously, keep in mind this is during you know, he's born late 30s, early 40s, so he'd be. A teenager and you know early, older the 60s and 70s so this is around the time when obviously this is stuff that's been happening for years and years in america but a lot of the times these things are starting to become super tense with the civil rights movement and uh, other things like that so he i feel going into this chapter in american history and his personal history coming from this perspective he's going to have a complicated relationship with it on multiple levels
3: uh, yeah, and I think in the song there's a sense of, like, Alvin maybe felt disconnected from the world around him, uh, felt really isolated in a way, um, because there was nobody he could really connect to. Um, he didn't really fall into any of the strict boxes that uh, people were expected to um, within American society. So, um, by a stroke of fate... He fell sort of outside any boundaries. You
1: know, it also reminds me a lot. Of, I also host another podcast called Your Advanced Dungeons and Dragons Hour with your host, Keezer the Cordial. And that reminds me a lot of the, the half-elf race of playable characters in advanced dungeons and dragons in which you would assume the, the half of a human and the half of an elf would make you beloved by all. But really, they're outcasts in many ways because they don't truly have a home. Shunned by both the humans and the elves.
0: That's exactly what being biracial is like.
3: That's yeah. That's that's it. Um, uh, Yeah. No. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, hmm, uh, Which
1: (laughs) I'm going to put a link into the description here so you can subscribe to my other Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, thank you, Uh, thank you
3: for the. uh, Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Um, And I
0: think. uh, In any case, I think that uh, detachment from all these boxes is part of the reason why his whole world view is so detached. Yes, because because he doesn't feel a, a part necessarily of one specific group. He looks at everything from a kind of outsider's perspective because he himself feels himself an outsider.
3: Yeah, and
2: I think that's and, and, part of. Oh, yeah. go ahead, Mew. I, I think I was about to say what you're saying. So,
3: <laughs> well, Which is, okay, say it
2: probably why the residents were kind of attracted to his music because they're very in a way they're kind of outsiders and and they like to sort of see things from a more outside perspective and so seeing this perspective i think really drew them into into these demos yeah i mean mm-hmm.
3: from what we know from Uh, We don't know, just like we don't know much about Alvin Snow's backstory, the backstory of the residents is a little vague, but there was talk um, in the documentary about them, Theory of Obscurity, that the residents, in coming from Louisiana to San Francisco in the 1960s, felt both separate from the culture they were coming out of in the South, but also unable to mesh in with the culture, you know, the sort of hippie thing going on um, in San Francisco at the time. Um, so I think there's, there's a parallel there.
0: I think there's definitely a kind of kinship that's being felt between the residents and Elvin Snow. And I think that's part of the reason, like you said, why they were so enthralled when they heard these for the first time. Like, uh, they missed each other, almost. Like, they, they could have maybe connected mm. with one another had they met, both having been from the same area in the same time and feeling the same things.
3: And so So, this is uh, sort of like a missed, like Metal Meat and Bone is sort of a missed Connections Craigslist ad from the residents to Alvin Snow.
0: (laughs) That's exactly it.
2: Because, I mean, I feel like, uh, like, especially early on in the residents history, it almost felt like um, they were just a collection of of weirdos. And I feel Mm. like, in a way, Alvin Snow would have fit right in with his sort of.
0: The yeah. Island of Misfit Toys of music. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Merry Christmas, everybody. Moving Actually,
1: things along, so since this good. is a yeah, short segment of my show, I, I want to move on to another track called Hungry Hound. This one talks a lot about dogs.
3: Yes. Um, he seemed to have a bit of a fixation. Um, uh, dogs are cool. Yeah, I think maybe Alvin may have felt some sort of kinship with animals. Um. Or some sort of connection to them i mean as far as we know he felt very fond for his um first dog who he named actually after howlin wolf um his dog chester um and so he probably saw his life through that kind of lens um sort of a proto-furry if you will
1: you know i also host a podcast about furry. oh (laughs) god you know alvin snow would not have fit in with furry
3: culture
0: of course, of course. Uh, yes I
3: just I just wanted to leave that option open, considering uh how little we know about his life um yeah,
4: he just likes his dogs okay
3: I could mm. appreciate that um I mean this is a very mournful track, and I think um in a way this is kind of similar to tracks we've heard from the residents um this focus on animal imagery um and the loneliness of human existence um. Uh, it's actually something they've touched on.
0: Album. I can.
3: Animal that? Lover. Um, it, it, which ah. I know this is a bit of a stretch of the imagination, but it is. Uh, it, it was an album about that subject matter um, pretty specifically. And so um, I think this is another thing that the residents were probably drawn to um, in Alvin Snow.
2: Also, the residents just like dogs, too,
3: you know are f- don't we all man's best friend Santa dog
1: <laughs> well on the other side of that one we've got more about dogs. We're talking about the dog's dream
4: ah uh, yes hmm um it, it's not, it kind of sounds like it could have worked as a closing track if there was like an actual album made by dying dog
3: yeah there's a it's really final um probably in part due to the fact that it's a a discussion of a a dream that Alvin Snow may have had where he died. Um, I think this is maybe the track that gives us the most access to his life. Um, The imagery of um, family crossing over into images of authority punishing him and tracking him down and tricking him. I think it gives us a sense of how Alvin Snow experienced the world and maybe tells us a bit about why he decided to go away from it and and disappear in the way that he did
4: it, it's It sounds really lively too like like it's not
3: like slower it's it, it's it's theatrical it's like, almost I think, yeah,
0: which once again is something the residents are no strangers to.
3: Well, kind of they're, the they actress. love that stuff. I mean, they love Liberace, and you can't get more uh, theatrical than that.
1: Well, you're making me more and more interested in these residents. I might have to check them out.
0: Well, that's okay? our job. Our job is to uh, introduce strangers to the residents.
3: All right. Tell me. Tell me about Tell Me. Uh, this, uh, along with Hungry Hound, is another track that um, the residents actually covered before letting us know about the origin. Um which is a little bit of plagiarism, and the academic side of me rejects that entirely, but... I'll, I'll let it slide. Um, it sounds vastly different from the rest of these tracks. Did anybody else pick up on that?
1: Yes, yes it really does. Yes, yes, I'll was. Yeah.
3: Um, yeah,
4: actually.
3: Yeah, I think just cool. like how The Dog's Dream uh, gives us like an autobiographical edge, this does too. Um... I mean, this is a political work right here. He's discussing um, his experience of the ambiguities of race um, and his disconnection from it.
1: Well, I feel like the improvisation here is the juke joint jump and blues down on the killing floor and the New Orleans blues really comes together here.
0: Yeah.
2: You say so.
3: They sure do. I
0: t- totally agree.
3: Um, but yeah, I think we um, we hear in this that Alvin Snow felt lost in the world um, and felt a bit of anger about that, um, and that kind of intense emotion is what characterizes the blues as a, as a whole genre of music, um, and oh, also certainly. as a distinctly American kind of music. It's deeply personal.
2: Yeah. I, I just think I think it's very interesting that. In this track, he is incredibly angry, and yet, what he's angry at is very complex. Because what he's really angry about is the fact that um, everything is so ambiguous that he isn't—he can't be placed into just a simple box. Um, but he wants to be told where Who where he fits is. in. Yeah, exactly. I mean, but but he can't.
3: Yeah, he's frustrated at the absence of concrete That's- knowledge in his world
0: exactly what it is i think frustration is the perfect word to describe this feeling it's like anger it's upset it's sadness in a certain way it's just confusion and so he's he's frustrated and i think especially during that time period when identity in that regard was so important to so many Mm. people like i said like everything that's going on culturally it's going to leave you in a strange place.
3: Um, But I think it also tells us a lot about the role of art in the world, because here you have someone who is experiencing um, ambiguity in the world and is so frustrated about it. But because of a chance encounter with somebody who was willing to give him a medium in which to express this, um, he was able to turn that frustration into a work of art and to make something um, really powerful out of it um
0: yes and I, it,
3: it can be very hard to make sincere powerful art but through the intensity of emotion um that he experienced in his life um he was able to do so and that i think is an accomplishment
1: i know i know let's talk about i know <laughs> hmm
3: oh oh i know, oh, I know. I know. know. This one
1: brought out some horns, which isn't typical in a lot of the blues world. It's much more reminiscent Uh, of Chicago blues and less of the Mississippi blues. I think
3: here is where I started picking up on, um, I mean, this is the second to last track, but I think this is where I started picking up on what what might have drawn the residents to Alvin Snow musically, um, because the instrumentation has that sort of um, film noir kind of feel to it, and I know for a fact that the residents love that. So yeah, actually did I'm... use
4: him a few times over the
3: day.
0: Yeah, definitely.
3: That's true. Um, it's it's musically complex and layered, um, which I mean, Alvin Snow probably could be considered an experimental blues artist of his time, which is not something I think we really consider when thinking about the blues. We tend to think of it as this solidified genre. Um, and that experimentations could be pinned down to regional tendencies rather than individual artistic desire.
1: Well, you know, jump blues and New Orleans blues are heavy in the horn sections, but I wasn't sure if Alvin Snow was really into the New Orleans blues But if it sounds like he was crossing the genres...
3: Well, as far as we know, his main inspiration was Howlin' Wolf, to the extent that um, it's hard to say that he could have been influenced by specific genres of blues, um, because it was one artist that influenced so much of his existence. And, I mean, from there, um, I mean, that connection is, is sort of similar to the residents. I think they also enjoyed that sort of growling vocal style. Um... So, uh, and I think, uh, because they're doing covers uh, of these tracks, um, it might be the closest the residents have ever gotten to, um, their inspiration, you know, the closest they've ever gotten to Alvin Snow, uh, not Alvin, sorry, the closest they've ever gotten to Howlin' Wolf.
0: Yeah. It's one degree of separation.
3: Yeah. So to speak. Mm.
1: Moving along to the final track, that one It got me a little bit Made me a little emotional And, well It's called Mama Don't Go And, well, my mama Well, she I just don't want her to go I I just can't imagine my uh, life without my mama And and I just can't imagine not having a mama I I don't want to get choked up here But, well why don't you talk about it?
3: I mean, every, everybody loves their mama. Uh, yeah, um, uh, well, once again, this is a, a track about, a, uh, <clears throat> sorry, this is a, a track about a sense of dis- disconnection from, from family, from society, from uh, the ideas of how we experience family. I mean, Alvin Snow seems to be talking about here, seeking out family going to the place where he's meant to find fulfillment and reason and understanding and coming up empty-handed um, asking questions um, you know the kinds of questions posed and tell me and coming up with nothing
0: yeah I mean just this I think the over I guess the overarching theme of all of it and it comes out in this song a lot it comes out in different ways in the other tracks is this, I guess feeling of loneliness of isolation and separation. Uh, Again, that plays into his kind of not knowing where he stands culturally, his identity. um, I guess it all boils down to not only frustration like we said before, but just this overwhelming feeling of loneliness, I think is the heart of the matter
3: yeah i think the residents like to focus on loneliness a lot so they probably saw that but what also struck me about this um and about alvin snow life in general is this overworking sense of mystery of of ambiguity um and existing in that world not simply coming into it at times of of fear or weakness or confusion but living in ambiguity
1: yeah you know that track it's a beautiful track
4: it's I one of the shortest, but it manages to pack the most into it. It really
1: really does. You know, I I actually host a podcast about the prospect of losing your mother.
0: Oh. Is there much of an audience
3: for that? <laughs> oh, well uh for yeah, for our audience, could you uh, let us know what that's called? It's called The Morbid <laughs> Mommy Minute with, with Mort Maternus.
1: We go into these issues. We, we release two episodes a week on the matter. We've got we've got quite a few advertisers on it.
0: Advert okay yeah.
3: Well, well I'm
1: I'm
0: That's glad cool. to hear about your success, Congrats, man.
1: Uh,
2: yeah, we we should talk about uh, just you know podcaster stuff sometime. You know how you retain your audience and the um, uh, analytics.
1: Yes, I, I'd be happy to share some tips, but I'm not giving you my analytics. That professional business stuff and and we don't discuss. And if you ever fucking ask me a question like that again, I'll, I'll make sure I okay. you never work in podcasts again.
3: Oh, uh, well, so with yeah. that, I think we should probably um, get going. I mean, I'm sure uh, you know with the resident's hectic release schedule, there's always something new to work on. And so we've uh, always got to be working on a new episode. So um, with that, I think we should just, uh, you, know, you know, thank you, uh, Sweeper, for... No, oh, listen to me, you little uh, shit. Uh-huh. I run this show. You do not say when oh, we okay. end, okay?
1: My apologies. I'm going to fucking end okay. this show right okay. now, okay? Why did I even think this would be a good idea to have guests on my show? This is why I do this solo. This is why I do this show solo. This is why I do your Advanced Dungeons & Dragons Hour with your host, Kizar the Cordial solo. This is why I do the Yiff Dimensions with Ya'ani Dingo solo. This is why I do the Morbid Mommy Minute with Mort Materna solo. God, fuck!